want to change, change the picture, change the picture. Hello and welcome to Behind the Music. These three special shows explore the art versus oppression section in the Human Rights Watch Film Festival currently taking place in London. Little, bit by bit, you're playing your part, we're playing our part. So when you put all these efforts together, I can't give up hope. Each special looks at how music can be a major force for human rights and social change. In this show, Will looks at Beats of the Antonov. Hello, I'm Will, and you're listening to Behind the Music on SOAS Radio. In this special show, we take a look at Beats of the Antonov, one of the films featured in the Human Rights Watch Film Festival. Beats of the Antonov is a film from director Hajuj Kuka about the conflict of the Blue Nile and Nuba Mountains. The beats of the Antonov are the bombs sent by the Antonov planes, but also the vibrant music made by the people living in the conflict. I was lucky enough to catch Al Sara, the Sudanese musician and ethnomusicologist, to talk to her about her involvement in the movie. We talk a bit more about the vital role of music to the film and to the life in the area. And just behind me here we hear the power song, a woman's song taken from the film's soundtrack, out soon, and courtesy of DJ Mosquito's private collection. Alsara told me that this song was used to rev up the people, to get them going, so it seemed like a good one to start this show. I started off by asking Al Sara about her involvement in the movie and how it all started. Well, Hadouj and I have a working relationship that started a few years ago. We've been working together since his first documentary, Darfur Skeleton, on a variety of things um, under the slogan of Refugee Club Productions. He had gone initially on just a, photo- a photography trip with another, with another photographer to the region. I was in Aswan, Egypt, working on a residency. And he came up to meet me and he showed me some of the footage he had of the music. And I was blown away. I was blown away. I'd never heard anything like it in Sudan. Even and even though I was a Sudanese musician, and that was a part of it that kind of appalled me to the why have why don't I hear this on a more regular basis on the radio? Like it, I knew that there was places you could hear it, like uh, specialty specialty cultural centers that specialize in Sudanese cultural things. But like I couldn't just hear it every anywhere I wanted to go, you know. And it was music. What I was listening to it. It was actually the 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 first thing he brought me was uh, he had filmed Joda. Uh, the musician Joda singing and singing that with with uh, the girl who was singing with him, her name is Muna. 
um, and the way she was responding, and then the speed of the drums. I was like, to me, it sounds like this sounds like this is like acoustic electronic house music. Mm. What is this music? And I, I mean, for me, like the, the fascination was from a purely artistic point of view at the beginning. I was like, I've never heard anything like this. This mm. is magical. I was like, if we do anything, we just like the minimum is to just record this music and get it out there, you know? Mm. I was just like, the whole world needs to hear this. It's beautiful. Mm. And most importantly, Sudanese people need to hear this. This is the best. <laughs> um, so my excitement started on like that pure, a very shallow space <laughs> in that sense. And was he, was that, um, the guy that's playing that like four string um they call it rababa mm-hmm. in different parts of sudan it has different names some places call it tambur some places call it kisir but rababa or tambur are the common ones used okay similar to the, yeah. in the film with all crowded around uh, this tape recorder now uh, exactly go, so that, that okay so that tape recorder oh my god let me tell you about that little tape recorder because <laughs> that tape recorder is is also why i went i was like joda and his tape recorder are the reason I went to to uh, to, to visit the Ingesana people in Maban. So I went uh, that the little it's a field radio player like a regular field radio. And what they what he did was he took one speaker out, you know, because it has two speakers in it. Took one speaker out and used it as a microphone. So he switched the the wires in it to have it be an input instead of an output. Mm. So he would sing into one of one of the speakers and have it amplify out of the other speaker, which is why it has that 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 buzzing like mm. almost um, auto tuny sound to it. Because he also attaches it to the rababa, it catches the vibrations of the metal strings, and so it's just it's a very it's an acoustic sound, but it's very at, like electronic mm. at the same time. And so it's just it's beautiful, and the speed, the tempo, oh, the tempo is awesome. I was completely mesmerized by that, and I was like, I have to go and I have to get to know more. I have to know more about what's happening. So let's have a little listen, a little taste to some of the music that brought Alsara and director Hajuj Kuka to be making this film. Here is Joda, his Rababa, Muna on backing vocals and a whole host of others. With what starts at Ya Habiba. What happened next after hearing these first recordings of Joda's music? We had a lot of discussions, you know, like beforehand. Once we started that clip and, you know, we started many, many, many conversations about Sudanese identity and music and the manifestations. Because in Sudan, there's a lot of different music that is allocated to certain class groups, certain ethnic groups, certain, you know. And then you have the urban music that comes out of Khartoum, that that's only one that's allocated as acceptable pan-Sudanese music. And it tends to reflect a very small minority of the people in Sudan because mm. of the language it uses and the rhythms it uses are very much of one area. So I've always had an, an interest in, in the way music is used to express identity in general. I mean, it is the ultimate expression of identity. But the way also 
the way also cultures and societies will raise one kind of music above the other as far as even just its moral value. And so if you make one kind of art high art and the other art lowbrow art, it demeans something. And so it also says something about the practitioners of said art. And so for me, it became about, okay, so if this is also Sudanese music, what does it mean to be Sudanese then? You know, if, if this is Sudanese music and I'm not even aware of, of the spectrum of that sound, what does that mean then? Especially for me on a personal level as well as like my struggle with what it means to be Sudanese is, is long lasting. Well, from the film, it got, really got real sense that to be Sudanese is very much fav- favoured in like general power and social. It was more of an Arab sort of vibe and that a lot of the people there, exactly. like that was mirrored in their exactly, music. Exactly, yeah. Right? So like if you, if you Google Sudanese music, most of what you're going to come up with is going to be in Arabic and on and in Arabic and, on, and from usually very specific regions and tribes of places. So it's when for so for me, like I've also as like as a Sudanese person who makes music, have never understood what it, like what part of Sudanese, what was this like magical sing, singular thing that made you Sudanese? Because as far as I could tell, my people were as diverse as as diverse gets. And as far as I could tell, you know, with over 100 languages, with so many different cultures, like I never understood how we could quantify all of that into a singular identity. I've been a person who found a home in making music and in in making music that's based on traditional Sudanese music, as well as different traditional stuff from different parts of East Africa and reinterpreting it into my own experience. And so going somewhere like when we went to Maban, for example, and listening to Joe, like listening to their definitions of what it means to be an artist there is someone who can improvise, someone who can write, someone who can compose, and someone who can build their own instrument. That makes you an artist. But everybody's expected to be a player or be able to play something. So they had like two separate definitions. You have artist, you have player. And player is someone who can just play an instrument. And that's supposed to be the majority of the people. You have to be very excellent improviser to like to be able to whip up stuff on the spot. Um, because they're a part of a lot of a, a lot of the singing, a part of it is um, is calling people out in the middle of your crowd and saying things about them specifically like that, that troubadour style. You know, if we were going to relate it to a Western equivalent, you know, the in the, the Middle Ages in, in Western Europe, the troubadour style, where the troubadour goes from place to place and comes up with these poems honoring a certain person in front of them right away, you know, mm-hmm. and it's kind of done on the spot off the cuff. Mm-hmm. So it, it's part of it is that also to comment about things that are happening around you. So there's there's the tr- there's the improvisation. There's the being able to play a melodic instrument. There's also the being able to compose stuff. There's the being able to memorize a large quantity of music, and you have to be able to build your own instrument. So those are the five things that make you a, an artist as opposed to a player. So being somewhere where everybody's making music and everyone's dancing and there in in the refugee camps the music was i mean it, i've never been anywhere with that much music happening all the time like all the time will let's take a listen now to a recording al-sara made of chalak music at a social gathering in the yusuf batil refugee camp in maban state all part of the filming for the beats of the antonov movie from the conversations i was having with joda and some of the other musicians a lot of them were like we're actually playing more of the Rababa in the camps than we ever have before the war started. Why? It's like, well, you know, before we came here, people were, a lot of people had almost forgotten the language. They had, they were trying to move away from the idea of being in Gessanan of a specific tribe or trying to move away from being of, of the Nuba, Nubi, like Nuba mountain people and enter. And the education system was a part of that, you know, put your kids in school if you want them to have a better chance. Um, and in school, you know, you're not allowed to speak your, you know, your tribal language. You have to only speak Arabic and you only learn Arabic history. You All you learn are things that tell you that where you come from is not as valued as what these other things you should aspire for. Actually, and a lot of the people I talked to, a lot of the younger kids, they were like, they, they're in Gessanawi got, got a lot better in the camps because they were now, a lot of them were even picking up the language for the first time. Like they hadn't really, they'd forgotten it in the younger generation because they all felt like this war felt so ethnically targeted. They're like, they hit our region only and it was only our people that got affected. And they came in after us. So it felt very ethnically targeted to them. And so to them, there was this idea of like, okay, if it's about our ethnicity, what let's 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 sing to ourselves in these camps to remember our home. And so there was this the nostalgia of wanting to go home brought up all this old music and brought up all this new music that they were making at the same time. 
Wow. And that's the sounds of Joda, his rhabarba, and his song, Christina. I carried on by asking Al-Sara where you'd see music in the camps that she visited. Every night there was about five, six, or seven sometimes different like music things happening every, like throughout the, camp, the camps. So you just wander from one bonfire to the next. And it was just people gathered and dancing, people gathered and singing, people gathered, you know. And there was this person had a kahina party for one people. For the other people, it'd be like an engagement party. For some other people, it's just a gathering. They're just hanging out and invited people over. You know what I mean? So it was just like there was music going on literally five, six, it felt like five different concerts. And there's no electricity, so you just hear the sounds coming from different parts of the camps. And the camp is huge. How many people would be in like one of these camps? Or did it change a lot from place to place? The one I was in in Maban in the Blue Nile, there was 75,000 people. Okay. So it's like a small city, basically. So the region that the camp is in is technically in South Sudan. That's where the camp is. And the region that these people came from was the Blue Nile region in North Sudan on the border. Okay. So there was the mixing of the two ethnicities in Maban, but the majority of the refugees are all from one area. They're all from the Blue Nile area. And so it and they're predominantly one ethnic group. There's a couple of different subtribes in there, but it's not diff- it's not vastly different. They're all different subtribes from the same area. That's the camps I went to. Hajjaj also went to the Nuba Mountain camps. Yeah, where where I was, where I was when I was with him, the filming parts that I was with him for were in the Blue Nile. Okay. I couldn't get to the Nuba Mountains. So like I remember watching it, I could really this idea like music as home. It yeah. brings people together. This get these who who are we or what are we doing here, but then also using that to create new songs. And in in the film, that was really that really came out in in the girls' music that you were talking about. So my fascination with girls' music, you know, is is started before this. For me, girls' music is the ultimate infusion music of Sudan. It grew up in Central Sudan, to be very specific. So it was around the Khartoum and Central Sudan area. And it was basically the meeting of a whole bunch of different ethnicities together. And these are the songs that are sung at weddings and other social events. Mm-hmm. So like Ahani Banat or girls music is a wider is a wider umbrella for a variety of different women's music inside of it. Okay. But specifically Ahani Tumtum, which are the ones sung at weddings, which are the ones that you heard the women singing. And they are sung in Arabic. Okay, so here's the thing about the songs, is that you are able to contribute lyrics to it as you wish. You are able to contribute melodies to it as you wish. So there's a lot of ownership of these songs. And this was why I've always been really interested in them, because they tell stories of women. And because they're all like kind of dedicated to the realm of anonymous, mm-hmm. there's a lot of, um, I think people find a certain kind of um, safety in that. You kind of say whatever you want, you know, and it's a lot of it is very tongue in cheek satirical, raunchy commentary, mm. you know? Mm. And and so for me, like, it's a prime example of why Ghanin Benat is so interesting. People there, they're exchanging music on their cell phones, they're exchanging music on the field radios, but nobody turns on the other things that come out of Khartoum. Nobody's listening to Wardi, nobody's listening to Mustafa Sid Ahmed, nobody's listening to Ghani al-Haqiba, the stuff that, that's considered, quote-unquote, highbrow Sudanese art. Mm. And it's all delivered in Arabic. But... Aghanil Banat, which is also delivered in Arabic, is the one thing that they all sing. All the girls sing it. They don't play it on the radio even. They all might, they all had their own songs to, that they made up. Um, Shatat Farda, for example, was one of the tracks um, that one of the girls sang and made up. And it's like you can hear it in the documentary. Mm-hmm. And it's about a boy being drafted into um, into the war. And they had they had another one called Ayan uh, Taban, which is about being sick and being driven away in a big Nissan car. Which is intricate. The Nissan cars are the ones that are being used in transportation over all around the the camps over there. So is there like an ability and, to say something in the music that you couldn't say? You couldn't like just talk. About? I think that's it. Absolutely, because it's still we're still dealing in very patriarchal world, like uh, mm. world in Sudan. Like you know, it, it doesn't matter what tribe you're from. It's still a very patriarchal system, and so for women to say a lot of things out loud in in public is um, it's difficult. You know, mm. uh, it takes a lot of social maneuvering to know how to say certain things without being banished into the realm of the untouchable. <laughs> and so songs are often used for that, and wedding songs are. It's they're particularly cheeky, you know, and it's also because and it's honestly, I think because you get to make up the words like you. There's a giant repertoire you can draw from, but you could also just make up words. So I met this woman named Hawa there who uh, used the Rani Tum Tum to do these public health education songs. So she had a song about cleaning your house. 
Um, and it's the whole song is about how when you when you wake up in the morning, you, dear mother, please sweep and clean your home, dear mother, so that the kids don't get sick, so the kids don't get diarrhea. And the song is super like dancey, and you wouldn't even think those were the words when you're listening yeah. to it. But she wrote it, and she wrote it as part of this uh, this education uh, program that one of the NGOs was running for public health awareness and you know just general cleanliness because public health was an issue out there. You know, it's just like you're in. Refugee camp, garbage was again bathroom, you know, like that really like it and, and that causes a lot of problems and diseases, you know. And and so it was really awesome for me to see them using, you know, this 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 particular genre to do that. I was like, so why is this the genre that everyone feels like they can claim? Even though it's in a different language than the Ingesana language, you know? Why why is this the one part of Khartoum that they would take in? Yeah. And to me it's because it was the one part in Khartoum that's really a fusion of different people it's not about a singular thing that we all have to adhere to as the only way to be Sudani and here in a clip from the movie Beats of the Antonov is an example of that girl's music sung by Muna Abdallah and her friends composed by them the refrain is oh how wonderful is love <laughs> From most of that film, you said it a bit before that it wasn't someone sits there and performs to a to a crowd. It's there's there's that invitation to do it as a as a group and participate as a group. Exactly. So and that totally separates it. So it makes it um, more acceptable for a girl to do it because you're not technically quote unquote getting on a stage and performing. You know, it's an interactive performance. Mm. It just breaks the the performance barrier. You know, because it's. That's also a big deal, you know, for a girl to get up on stage and do some stuff publicly. It's it's it has its own things that it could break. There was a part in the film where a lady was mm-hmm. insulted. It seemed like the lady was insulted by a guy, and to mm-hmm. to get over that, it looked like there was there was some sort of singing part. There was something that basically brought these two groups together that might have fought over this insult, but there was. The giving of gifts to each other, and did you remember that bit in the in the movie? Yes. Oh my God, I love that. I, oh God, that was the best day. I spent that whole day with those ladies. So that was okay. This is ex- this is to me a beautiful example of how there were systems in place before to resolve issues, and that have been broken down over the last ten, fifteen years. Um, that so now, and as a result, I think have caused more violence in the region, like this tribal resolution system. You know, there is a system set in place for, for resolving because the idea of honor is a big deal. You know, the mm. idea of somebody's honor is a big deal. So for someone to insult someone's honor, if the proper steps are not taken to appease the other party, it, it's an insult not only to the party being insulted, but to the entire family of the, of the party being insulted. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So if you notice, even the guy who, um, who had insulted the woman when he came to speak, all of his aunts stood behind him. To show their support and mm. to show their to show their support of what he did and to show that he has a, he has back. It, it's almost about saying no. He has a back here mm. and he's not alone. And he's coming from he comes from a good family and we're t- we're we're handling this according to the social decorum. So what happened was this woman was singing on the side of the street with a couple of the other ladies and the man was walking by and and he insulted her. 
I think he probably said something about why you're sitting around singing or something like that. So it just ha- so happened that he insulted the wrong girl. <laughs> like She's yeah. not the kind of girl who was going to take it silently. So she went to the head of their tribe, the head of her of her. T- so the way the camp is divided is that um, every like village who had their, has their own sheikh are, have their, still their own sheikh in the camp representing them. Mm-hmm. And those shiuch, the heads of the of the mini, the villages, they all are collectively together. They are, they are the ones who meet with the UN and any other NGOs as representatives of the entire camp. So it's not the entire camp meeting. And so what happened, she went to the head of her, uh, to her sheikh and told him the issue. And she's like, this man insulted me. I need my honor to be appeased. This is completely within her rights. As a result, what the sheikh does is the sheikh takes this complaint to the other sheikh of that, of that gentleman, of his family. They went to him and they're like, so-and-so-and-so and so and so happened. This guy, this guy from your tribe, from your family, insulted one of ours. And, you know, we need to make sure that this is resolved. To make it resolved, what happens is that the sheikh was like, well, we are sorry that there was an insult issue. Please come and let us honor you with a feast. So that's what it is. They literally invite the entire tribe over and they feed them all. And in, and in a place as demanding as a refugee camp, this is now easy thing because it's like when they invite the entire tribe, literally like 200 people rolled up. Like it wasn't it really like it was yeah. 200 people rolled up on. Them. And so they had to feed 200 extra people, you know, and, and to feed them in a place where you're like, you know, you're getting your stuff by rations to have this kind of generosity in a place like that. Mm. That's a, that's a show of like, no, we really mean no harm. And so part of, of the feasting is also the singing. And so also the woman who's coming to be, you know, to, to be appeased, she also has a duty to bring gifts to show that she doesn't have any bad feelings anymore either. And then everyone comes together and sings. And so there was singing happening all day and dancing happening all day. Um, and, and that was, and that's how that was resolved. And then that problem was no longer a problem ever again. It's pretty beautiful. No. It's really beautiful, and and you know it's and it works because it shows social responsibility without shaming. You know what I mean? Mm. It's a way of of making someone come responsible for something without you know. Because I feel like social responsibility is always in a lot of societies. It comes from a shaming place. You know, we will shame you in front of the whole society. It's like no, we're not going to shame you. We're going to all in just celebrate together. And not and not as like to push something to the side. It's like this happened, but let's all talk about it. And get over it. Exactly. By doing something Exactly. And, this, and the best way to get over it is to celebrate together. Yeah. And from these meetings, also, a lot of relationships develop. You know, weddings happen from these kinds of meetings. Things like that happen. So it's a really beautiful way of, of socially engaging. And also, it's a great way to listen to, like, every kind of music that they like to make. <laughs> yeah, what, what kinds of music would you find there? Um, what I found there, there was, it's, I mean, I, I just feel like I'm not, I, I'm not, um, an, an expert. Okay. I feel hesitant and, and I never want to paint myself as an expert mm. because I felt like this trip for me was really like a lot about me learning about my own ignorance. <laughs> I, what I got really out of that experience was how much more there is that we don't know. I, I can't, I don't feel comfortable being like, oh, I know everything, <laughs> Yeah, sure. <laughs> you know? <laughs> But but with the times that I found, the basic categories that I found when yeah. I was there was there is the Aghanil Banat. That's the stuff that I found all over Sudan and in there as well. And then from that region specifically, there was Chelek music. There was women's Chelek. There's Zumbara. Aghanil Lingesan, which was just a, the Rababa, Aghanil Rababa, which is anything that they played on the Rababa. Um, those were the basic, those were the overall giant categories. Within Chelek, there was a lot of subcategories depending on the on the ceremony being that's happening and depending on the size of the rababa that they take out to play. So they had different size tambours depending on the ceremony. Some they had certain size tambours that they didn't bring out for me at all because they're like it's only for sacred ceremonies mm-hmm. and you're only allowed to bring it once a year. Um, and then they had other things that they use for everyday parties. It has other things that they use only for weddings. So there is subcategories within all these big categories. I just, I don't know the, I don't know the full extent of all of them. I think it's a comfort. It's a way to remember home. It's a way to stay awake. It's also a way to document what's happening to you now. And it's a way to pass on your stories to a next generation. You know, that's the most important part about music. It's like it really passes stories down to other people, to new people. 
um, who might not remember, who might have been born in the camp, you know? They don't know what you're talking about. Where is this Ingas in the place you talk about? You know, where is this where is this Blue Nile you talk about? I've never been there, you know? Mm-hmm. And so this is a great way to document your stories and to pass them down. Um, it's also, I think, a great way for people to maintain their humanity. So you're not just surviving, but you're actually living, mm-hmm. you know? And I and I really, you see that in people when they play the music and they're celebrating and they're having their, they're carrying on with their social events, you know, even though times are crazy, they're still getting married. They're still having the parties that they would have normally. They're still inviting people over. These to me are, that's what makes music important is that it, it, it elevates your status from just survival to true living, you know? Does any of this music get out of this area? You know, there's, when we started talking about... Was it Joda, the guy playing the rubber? Yeah. So he's he's changed this um, mm. this uh, tape player into like a microphone setup. Is there is there any mm. like mm. sending of this music outside and like guys are sending the, the the tunes to each other on their mobile phone? Like does this does any of this get outside of of the area to tell that story sort of outside well, of that? I don't really see them recording very much they weren't really recording it this, the problem with that system of amplifying like that it doesn't record very well um you can record but you catch all that static that's coming through in if you're listening to that from away it's fine but if you're trying to record in the thing itself with all of that electric sound it ends up sounding really really dirty you can't listen to it so they're they're not but what i'm hoping to do is that with all the field recordings that we've gathered is that I'm 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 looking for different producers actually, and if you know of anybody, put the word out. Yeah. I'm looking for different producers, especially African producers, to collaborate with on um, to help us out with doing remixes of those tracks. Because mm. um, I would love to release them the the field recordings as well as the remixes in conjunction with each other, so that it could get the proper it could get the proper play and love that I think it really deserves. And I also feel like there's a lot of uh, similarities in, in the house, in, in the electronic scene and in this sound particularly. So I would love to hear it truly clubified. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's just about finding the right crew of people that will work on it mm. and, um, and, and kind of and, and getting that. And once we do that, I would love to just, pr- you know, release that stuff out and hopefully print a bunch of it on SD cards. And, and take it back to the camps. My hope is to go back to, hopefully they're not in the camps anymore. If they are, to go back and hand out a whole bunch of these memory cards to everybody, because that's how everyone exchanges music there, so that they hear their music recorded and they get to listen to themselves, you know? Mm. Just like, you should have this. This is your work, you know? So what's a lot of the music they pass around? What, what kind of music do they, do they have on these phones? They listen to a lot of Hausa from West Africa. They're, they do pass around a lot of stuff from from the Nuba Mountains and from the you know, there's a lot of Ghanil Banat, but honestly, what I heard on most people's phones, what I got from from people's cell phones, a lot of it was uh, was I concentrated in the Nuba Mountains. I asked because I wasn't there, mm-hmm. so I asked people to give me what whatever they had on their cell phones from Nubia from the Nuba Mountain musicians that they loved, and that was when I discovered Abbas and a bunch of the other guys from there that are amazing.
this Captain Abbas guy? Captain Abbas was when I, because I, I couldn't get to Kauda, I couldn't get to the Nuba Mountains, to, to Kauda specifically. So I sent, I put the word out being like, hey guys, I'm looking for music from Nuba Mountains. Who's the most popular guy on everybody's cell phone right now? And Captain Abbas was the name that was passed to me. Everybody was listening to him. It seems like he was a local legend. And he seemed to be, he had a lot of anecdotes. Hisham got a chance to speak to him. I didn't get a chance to speak to him. Um, but apparently, you know, they were, he'd been asked a few times to perform at the local TV station and when, and he always refuses. And they were like, why do you refuse? He's like, I like to get drunk before I sing. And you know, those people are very crazy at that. Those government people are very crazy. Who knows what they'll ask me to do when I'm there. <laughs> <laughs> and so he just refused to go on TV. He didn't like the way they dealt with people. <laughs> so people listen to Captain Abbas a lot. And, uh, so he's a local artist, fluent in all the same styles, um, improviser, composer, instrument maker and we got that particular sample from a dj mosquito which runs a voice of the community radio station in cauda you can find many of these tracks on the beats of the antonov soundtrack sampler on soundcloud waiting there for the full release but i asked alsara to explain a bit more of the recording that they made of the zumbara 
the Zumbara is so the Zumbara they call Zumbara music they don't call it music they call it a game and there is a there's a lot of similarity between Zumbara in the Blue Nile as Zumba as uh, in the Nuba Mountains they call it Waza um, so there's a lot of similarities between the two what it is is there is one lead guy in the center and he has um, a short little pipe that's made from a hallowed piece of wood traditionally sometimes it's a piece of plastic and it makes one note everybody has different size notes everybody has different size pipes who um, make different notes so you have a bunch of different people playing different size pipes and somebody has this one lead, one small pipe that's like the lead pipe what everybody does is they blow and they and 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 people gather around in a circle the rest of the people and everyone does this step they they do the shuffling step with their feet where they go all towards one person with that with that they go towards the leader and then they come back away from the leader so it's like a pulling back and forth in a playing and then someone like goes in and scoops the, the the lead pipe out of his hand and they start to leave the part of the song and someone and so people shuffling towards you and away from you and they're singing at the same time while they do that and it's a big collection of people yeah. and so you have the sound of the footsteps with it it's a game but it sounds like a music yeah to us them, they think of it as a game more than as as music you know and it's very much interactive it's interactive you know so everybody you need a large group of the community to be around for for the music to really happen the way it needs to happen <laughs> Can you tell us what the best thing about making this movie was for you? The best thing for me about this film was that it really, it really allowed me to rethink about my concepts of identity and rethink about my concepts of what it means, of what it means to be Sudanese, most of all, you know. And it allowed me to have a more sense of ownership of that particular identity. That it doesn't, it doesn't have to be handed to me as belonging to somebody else. You know, you can be Sudanese and be in anything you really want. You can be Sudanese. If you're Sudanese, you're Sudanese. Nobody else gets to tell you what what that means, you know? You know, I felt like I really got to know my people and in a different way. And that was really, really liberating. And to see that we have a lot of work to do as a, as a country, as a society together, you know? It has, it, it's not something, it's not about just changing the regime. It's changing about, it's changing how we view ourselves. Why is it important for a film like this? So it's part of this Human Rights Watch film festival in London. How, how do you think it relates to that mm. that idea? It's it's about I mean it's about people surviving mm. a war, so it very much relates to human rights. So that the essence of this film is about atrocity that is happening to people, but the idea of it is that people want whenever people hear the word atrocity and Africa together, they really like to think of victims as this one dimensional thing. You know, people like to victimize people because it's simpler than saying you can be a victim of something and still retain some agency over how you want to be seen and how you want to live your life, you know, how you choose to exercise your daily life. So to me, that's, that's magic of, that's the magic of that. And, but that doesn't mean that it, just because we, we are highlighting the agency doesn't mean that something wrong isn't happening, that a war is not happening, that human rights, human rights atrocities are not taking place because mm. they are happening. It's just all it's all happening at the same time. It's just things are never just black and white. You know, there's a lot of gray sometimes about especially when it comes to humanity and survival. Al Sara, thank you so much for taking the time out to talk to us today and good luck with the tour. Thank you. You have been listening to Behind the Music with me, Will Roper. Many thanks to Alsara for taking the time out of her busy schedule touring around the US at the moment with the Nile Project. You can hear her now in the background, Alsara and the Nuba Tones with their track Nuba Nutum. Nuba.
please do try and check out the Beats of the Antonov as part of the Human Rights Watch Film Festival. If not, have a look online for the trailer, more music from Alsara, and more information from Behind the Music. <laughs>